The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. We're live from COP28 in Dubai and CNBC headquarters here in London. Here are your, head- your headlines. Well, Wall Street closes in the red with the Dow breaking a four-day winning streak dragged lower by tech stocks as investors cash in on a five-week rally. China's services activity expands at its fastest pace in three months, according to a private survey, mudding the waters after official data showed the sector contracting for the first time this year, prompting calls for fresh stimulus. A draft text of the final COP28 communique shows negotiators are considering a phase-out of fossil fuels as the summit president hits back at claims he doesn't believe in climate science. And Qatar's sovereign wealth fund is reportedly selling down over half a billion pounds worth of shares in Barclays as the UK lender once again comes under scrutiny and pressure uh, to turn its business around. It was a downbeat day for markets yesterday. Investors now second-guessing themselves. We've had a very strong move to the upside in hopes that we've got a 2024 that's going to bring rate cuts. Uh, the inflation story recently just setting in chain a fairly strong market rally. And some of the Fed speakers also just contributing to the narrative that, look, next year could be very different to 2023. But as we count down to key jobs data this week, the market just repositioning, just a little bit concerned about how extended the risk on trade has been for stocks the drop that we've seen in yields and also the dollar. So some of that just corrected in trade yesterday. You could see a slight push lower, about a tenth coming off the Dow. The S&P 500 reporting a, a half of a percent drop, but slightly more sizable decline of just over eight tenths of a percent on the Nasdaq. Tech stocks, one of the real underperformers of the market. Worth noting, real estate stocks, again, still interest rate sensitive part of the market. That was uh, one of the better areas to trade yesterday. In terms of the tech decline that you saw on the Nasdaq, let's just take a quick close up look at some of those names, about two odd percent pullback at the, the most for some of the big names in the sector. NVIDIA down 2.7 odd percent, Delphabet down 2 percent, two and a half coming off the likes of Netflix. Again, these are some of the high flyers in recent weeks. The uh, trader on Meta down 1.4, 1.5 roughly, similar size decline for Amazon. So retreat taking place and taking the major tech names with them, uh, including the Magnificent Seven that have been uh, hotly sought in recent weeks. I want to take you to Treasuries. The markets have seen this real retreat away from that 5% mark, and that is really on the 10-year and at the short end, the two-year, the 10-year making a significant mileage to the downside. And you can see we're now hovering at 4.24%. The market, though, yesterday, just taking a quick look at this again, there's so much on the tape this week with the jolts numbers, the ADP, the initial jobless, rounding out the week with non-farm payrolls. Uh, so the market just is reassessing that 4.63 at the two-year as well. Take a look at what we're seeing at gold. We had a record that was posted in the Monday session. We got to 2135. Stunning levels, uh, some of the high ranges we, we've ever seen, record levels on that price, but in decline off that uh, high watermark. This morning we picked up a little bit, about a tenth of a percent. So a little bit of a drift, but still much higher prices for the gold bugs to enjoy. To the Asia markets, and let's take a look at the region in the red right across the board, picking up on the Wall Street.
Street trade were down 1.7% on that Hong Kong market. Just worth noting when it comes to stocks in Hong Kong, the climb we've seen here, a fresh one-year low, the index trading below its pre-Asian financial crisis high. And so far this year, as you tally up the losses, down 17% of Hong Kong market when global stocks are up 15%. So a significant divide between Hong Kong and the rest. Let me take you to the cryptocurrency world because I mentioned the spike that we've had in gold prices. That has taken with it across various different assets to the crypto space. Bitcoin climbing above that 42 thousand dollar mark in trade yesterday you can see we're off that morning session but still there's a very strong surge there the view is that we've got interest rate cuts on the horizon that provides cover for crypto but also that perhaps some of the worst of the regulatory concerns may be behind the sector as they look forward to potential around this spot etf for bitcoin potentially coming next year which may drag the institutions back in steve let me toss it back out to you Thanks, Karen. Good to see you today. Right, speaking to CNBC, BlackRock, global CEO of fixed income, that's Rick Reader, said he doesn't believe the U.S. is at risk of falling into a deep recession and that markets have been a little bit too quick to price in the first Fed cut. But he did stress that the benchmark is now too high with inflation coming down. The narrative of the economy falling off a cliff, that we're moving into a recession and the Fed's got to start cutting. In fact, we were pricing in a cut in January, which was in the markets, which is absurd. Mm -hmm. Listen, I think that's maybe a bit presumptuous. And I, uh, listen, I don't think the economy's falling off a cliff. I don't think, I don't believe in we're going to significant recession. Is the Fed done hiking? I think, yes. I mean, they, they are done. The question is, when do they start evolving the narrative? Real rates, if you think about a funds rate, five and a quarter, five and a half, with, with inflation moving into the twos, the real rate is too high. And so I think the Fed's got to start cutting. So, Cameron, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of contrary signals out there as well. And I know you're going to be talking after we've had this chat about the oil markets, but I'll just bring in one thing from that as well. If the global economy was in such fine fettle and growth was so assured, on both sides of the Pacific. And actually, we we're going to avoid uh, a larger recession in Europe and other regions as well. Why are we trading at $78 a barrel? And, and, and this is my point. Uh, the answer is, it, it's it about demand or is it about positioning in the market or is it about skepticism? Actually, that we are as strong as many people keep telling us we are as well. Because the thing is, at the moment, there's nothing subtle about the moves on the markets. You, uh, a couple of days ago, went through these absolutely stunning, historic moves to the upside in equity markets. The equity markets were taking no prisoners. They were cutting aggressively um, the, the yields on the bond market, buying aggressively bonds there as well. They were buying aggressively in the Nasdaq and every other single risk on assets. They're buying aggressively, as you just pointed out very clearly there, uh, in the cryptocurrencies as well. But if things were so great, why are people so aggressively calling for rate cuts next year? It's just something that just doesn't work here for me. I.e. markets surging ahead, regardless of what uh, a slowdown will mean for corporate profits. And at the same time, the market wants aggressive rate cuts in the first half of next year. Somebody explain that to me because I'm struggling. Steve, I think we've seen a lot of market moves on the assumption that we are looking at these lower rates and that effectively the task of taming inflation is done. But I don't think uh, for most of us now looking at just how stubborn inflation has been that we really think the task is done until we see the evidence. And I think that is the thinking still from the, the central banks and some of the commentary from the Fed. But the markets are trying to move ahead of that scenario. The question is uh, whether they're rightly or wrongly positioned at this point. And I think we've seen a lot of movements. Some are calling it the, the Goldilocks rally as we have 
had that S&P 500 ticking up to its highest level Friday in uh, so far this year also been deemed uh, the dash for cash now, a dash for trash rather, that you're seeing the small cap part of the market. And we were talking about this yesterday where there was potential for even more moves there, that areas of the market that have been left behind now get scooped up because investors are still searching for other opportunities to get involved in this rally. But it does feel as though we've gone in one direction. Perhaps it's time to just reset, take stock. If you think about the earnings here, and earnings have been pretty much on the, the side track versus the re-rating run monetary policy, earnings for the fourth quarter are being marked lower. So on the near-term horizon, it's fascinating that we've had this huge rally, but the next set of earnings might be more downbeat. And you've seen a ton of revisions coming up to the next quarter of numbers. The reason we are seeing some of the assumptions on market valuations uh, still be resilient, though, is that there's hopes next year will be better on those uh, earnings estimates. So it is fascinating that we're going to have this bumpy ride to get through some of the negativity first up to get to the better news next year, Steve. But it feels like we still have a lot of fingers crossed that these trades are going to play out next year. Yeah, okay, so, look, so so does this mean, and all of the above, from what we said, but does this mean that we're more sensitive to good data now? What, what if we have a really strong bit of uh, uh, jolts today, that people are quitting in droves because they feel they can get other jobs, uh, and that hirings are up? Or if on Friday, instead of 180,000 jobs created, we get... I don't know, 250, 270, because there are some people talking towards that top at that end of the market as well. What happens is, does that mean we get more aggressive? Because people aren't prepared. I know the VIX has picked up from its 12.4 low or whatever it was at its low last week as well. Now, just with a, barely with a 13 handle, 13.1. But is any of the positioning ready for good data? Because the truth of the matter is, the, the Fed was always said, to be breaking something by moving this aggressively. Well, clearly the Fed hasn't broken anything ostensibly according to the markets. Otherwise, we wouldn't be trading where we are. So is the market wrong in assuming that the cumulative and lagged effect of 500 basis points plus of rate hikes from the Federal Reserve, that actually they're not going to break anything and actually there are no more cumulative and lagged effects to come? Because when was our last rate hike? July. Well, by the economic history that I've always looked at as well, it takes, and again, I think the Federal Reserve has used the same kind of numbers, it takes 18 months to 2.1 years for the full effects to come through. Well, we've only had, what are we now? We're in early December, so we've had five months. We've still got another year of those effects to come through. And, and you, you made a very interesting comment. You said the dash for trash, and, and I agree with you, but I was, I'd look in a different area rather than the smaller caps. I would look in the corporate bond market, the high yield corporate bond market, which is absolutely, again, seen a surge with the yields picking up from a big pun going down and the underlying going up from somewhere in the regions of a nine and a half level down to an eight level uh, down to even lower in some cases as well but those companies have still got to refinance over the next couple of years and there's a wall of money 2024 2025 2026 at a corporate level at a sovereign level at a municipal level that has to be refinanced and something that we talked about earlier on in Scorebox a few shows ago is there is a raft of elections going through in some of the biggest economies in the world namely the likes of India and the United States as well where one slip up uh, in the electoral process uh, and that again could add extra risks to these markets as well I'm not saying the markets are wrong to be pricing in a dovish scenario all I'm saying is they don't seem to be giving themselves much wiggle room it all looks very binary to me the geopolitics, I think, Ian, that's cropping up in a lot of conversations we're having still around the headline risk for next year. I'm going to just push on to some comments from the ECB. This is from Isabel Schnabel, who is saying inflation developments uh, encouraging fall in core prices remarkable. Uh, so that is a fairly interesting line here about uh, the progress being made on inflation. 
Further rate hikes are rather unlikely after November inflation print. Chernobyl going on to say declines to endorse guidance for steady rates for several quarters. Says must be careful about guiding for policy six months out. So again, trying to remain somewhat nimble and dynamic here. The central bank must be more cautious with rate cuts than market pricing, which is again the view that the central banks take versus how the market positions. And that's just part of our discussion there. Current level of restriction sufficient has increased confidence that 2% target will be met in 2025. But again, we're still talking about some a guide path to get to 2025 at this point, navigating 2024 and inflation rates then need to err on the side of caution after inflation overshoots must not declare victory prematurely. And uh, Schnabel going on to say inflation right on track, uh, but more progress on core needed. End of PEP investments, not a big deal given small amounts. Discussion will happen soon. So the market's been looking at uh, some of these reinvestments to see what sort of liquidity drain we could have in Europe. So uh, just touching that this morning from Schnabel as uh, she talks about this and says soft data suggests economy may be bottoming out, no prolonged recession seen and uh, touching on the momentum in Europe in uh, some of those comments this morning. Saudi Energy Prince, uh, Saudi Energy Minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman says production cuts could extend beyond the first quarter of next year. This after OPEC Plus producers agreed to expand voluntary cuts to a total of 2.2 million barrels per day last week. However, crude prices slipped on reports of infighting among members and the prospect that the cuts uh, end in Q1. Speaking to Bloomberg, bin Salman said he wanted the group to impose larger cuts than the market may have expected and they should offset any increase in stocks. Well, Chinese services activity expanded once again in November, according to the private Kaishen PMI survey, reaching a three-month high of 51.5. The print comes in stark contrast to last week's official reading, which showed the services sector contracting. Let's get out to Lin for more. Lin, just work through these numbers for us. Uh, what's it telling us about the Chinese economy? Yeah, so we're seeing, I think, different sectors of China's economy performing at different levels. In terms of this Taixing imprint, it's an uptick of 1.1 points compared with October. But in terms of the divergence with the official number, which is 51.5 versus 50.2. But actually, if you look at the official non-manufacturing number, it's lower because the services sub-index came in for the month of November at 49. The lowest this year and showing contraction. And uh, analysts are putting that down to the different sample sizes and survey people here in terms of smaller and medium enterprises doing slightly better versus the bigger state-owned firms perhaps more exposed to the property sector, which we have obviously seen a drag for a while now. In terms of the details coming out of today's data, we're seeing strength in services consumption. HSBC in a note saying that when you strip out property-related services and you look at, for example, tourism and dining, we're seeing increases and perhaps we'll see more of that given some of the policies from central government. For example, recently uh, it announced uh, more visa-free travel for a number of countries, uh, mostly coming out of Europe. And we are seeing, when we look at the whole Chinese economy, as I was saying, sort of two speeds here. So on the one hand, you've got property, 
which has been a drag and you've also got uh, new export orders mostly declining but then on the other hand we're seeing some strength in terms of consumption and we are still seeing strength when it comes to infrastructure off the back of policy support in recent months from Beijing. Now despite this upside in terms of the data no love from uh, Chinese mainland equities today they are all down for the day we've got the uh, benchmark CSI 300 it's down nine tenths of a percent at 3,427 at the moment and when you look at some of those sub indices that perhaps might react to this data like consumer discretionaries and tourism they're also down tourism down uh, 1.3 percent now and uh, discretionaries down uh, 0.8 of a percent and as we look forward now because of course we're only a month away from 2024 investors are now eyeing this uh, central economic work conference because of course we were expecting the third plenum that all important meeting that sets that long-term economic agenda going forward but uh, we have no date on that at the moment now this uh, work conference though will set the growth rate for 2024 although we won't know about it publicly until March but we will get a lot of more sort of clues and cues about monetary and fiscal policy going forward into next year. Karen, it's back to you. Lynn, thank you very much for the update there. Coming up on the show, Moody's issues a Moody outlook for the global banking sector, flagging a range of risks. So we'll take a closer look after the break. Plus, more of our coverage from the COP28 summit as a new draft communique shows that negotiators are seriously considering a phase out of fossil fuels more later this hour. And Dan will be speaking to Chakramuna, the head of the EMEA ESG at JP Morgan. You can tune in for that interview at 7.45. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. A second draft of what could become the final agreement uh, reached at COP28 suggests negotiators uh, could call for a, quote, orderly and just phase out of fossil fuels. This according to Reuters, which is reporting that other options for the text could include the calling out or phasing out uh, of unabated fossil fuels or not include any reference to phasing out at all. So I think they've pretty much covered every base by that so I'm not entirely sure about news story all respect to my good friends at Reuters Nigel Topping is UN COP26 high level champion I gotta be honest uh, Nigel and you and I have have shot the breeze on this at at 26 previously as well I don't really care about the language what I care about is action I'm I'm sorry I think people get too hung up on phase out phase down but what one thing the stock take again another blooming acronym the GST has shown us is is that it doesn't matter what the language is you've got to deliver yeah I think I mean, the language does matter. It's a, it, it, it sets a tone in the multilateral sense. But I think what we're seeing, and we, see, we started at COP26 and we're really seeing it here, is that the choreography of the COPs is changing to be much more about what's happening in the real economy. So the very broad um, consensus around we need to treble renewable energy by 2030, and we're seeing that in G7, in G20, across the private sector. Um, and hopefully that will be embedded in the, 
final text as well. That's, that's a very strong signal. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of things like um, future demand commitments from governments and, and industry saying we will buy the green steel, we will buy the green hydrogen. Uh, but I just, the, 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 the text matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. Um, big difference between when you and I were last talking, apart from the fact we're both frying here with Daniel looking very <laughs> serene in, in between us, ice cold queue, uh, ice cool in between us, is the fact that um, uh, the oil companies are here, the oil yeah. and gas companies. Just really, what do you think? That's not a big difference. They've always, they've always been here. It's a massive multilateral that, that, that's event. Not, that's not the case. Uh, there was no um, Ben Van Burden. He was stuck on a gantry outside at Glasgow. There was no uh, Bob Dudley. He wasn't allowed in either. So I think a, there was certainly no Darren Woods from Exxon. I think it's a big difference, isn't it? Uh, they, were, they were allowed in. They chose not to come. Uh, I was told that Ben Van Burden was kicked off uh, <laughs> a, a, um, a panel last oh, time round in a, Glasgow. That's a little bit of a sob story that the oil industry tells. What we, de what we decided in Glasgow is that we, wouldn't, we would only have industry leaders on stage who were genuinely and demonstrably committed in their targets and their capex plans to getting to net zero by 2050 and, that, right. and that's still the case that there's no oil company in the world who can demonstrate that. Okay so it's great that they're here regardless to be part of the conversation. Do you think their commitments have been good enough? Um, no. Um, I mean we've, I think, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a very strong commitment about um, a massive reduction in methane which is very important. I think this is something which Dr. Um, Al Jabba probably you know, uniquely personally given his multiple hats has pulled off. We know that methane has very strong global warming impact in the, sh in the short term, so we need to get that down. But um, oil and gas companies talking about get net zero in their operations um, it ignores the fact that nearly all of their emissions come from what people do predictably with their product, which is burn it. Um, so, so no, we don't have enough ambition. That's the nature of the process that we keep ratcheting. That's why there's a lot of people calling for clear language on phasing out or phasing down. Mm. And the language does matter to a certain extent because in a way it sets the standard for future COPs and creates a platform for that conversation to be built on. So what happens in the final communique is really going to be critical to watch whether it's phase down or phase out. But to another point, what do you make of the number of people who have come to this COP? We're looking at numbers between 70 and 100,000 people on the grounds here over the course of these negotiation days. Has COP become too big? Well, I mean, I think that's a yes and, a yes and no answer. Um, you know, on the one hand, this is the existential crisis for humanity. It's the, the biggest disruptor to, and risk to the global economy. So I kind of like the fact that a lot of people care about that and want to do something about that. Um, in terms of actually the, the, the cost and the carbon footprint and the complexity um, of arranging everything, um, that, that, that course makes it difficult. But it'd be very hard for you to say who you're going to say can't come. You're going to say the young climate activists can't come. You're going to say the oil industry can't come. Um, you know, multilateral collaboration is really messy. I think on balance, I'd rather it was big and lively and slightly chaotic than it was like quiet and controlled and pedestrian and boring and slow. Hmm. So what, talk to me about the outcome as well. What, what would you say were the, the failings and perhaps the gaps at 26 and 27 that 28 can build on today? Yeah. So, and again, when, when we talk about the outcome, I just, I, I, I'd never allow us to frame that as in what's in the final negotiated text. And I don't, I don't think that's your intention because that, I think that, that trap of only looking at what's negotiated has been something which has taken our eye off the bigger ball of yeah. industrial transformation. Yeah. So I think, um, so as, as I agree with you, we do want some strong language in the text. I think what's, what we started to see in Glasgow, and in Glasgow, in the work I was doing, we launched the 2030 breakthroughs. We said, let's take net zero and make it much more concrete. How many green steel plants do we need to build by 2030? Um, you know, how many, um, how, what percentage of the, of the automotive market needs to be electrified by, by 2030? Um, 
And, and then the UK presidency launched what we call the Breakthrough Agenda, which is now 56 countries covering 80% of the GDP, saying we need to collaborate to make sure that each of these technologies is the least cost, the clean, clean version is the least cost by 2030. So that gets over some of the north-south technology transfer. Um, what, what was difficult to do politically then was agree numerical targets at a sectoral level. That starts to trigger all sorts of flags to people. But with this trebling renewables, doubling energy efficiency, we're starting to see and embracing the fact that no, actually numerical targets for, that are shared public and private are really helpful because that gives certainty to financiers, to, to, to boards making capex decisions. Nigel, in terms of the hockey stick, the exponential growth, the industrialization of the greening of the economy, one can get really excited about it. But when's it going to happen? I don't think we're there yet. It's happening now. You should be really excited about it now, or you're not paying attention. Well, I've been paying attention since I was at Le Bourget in 2015, and I'm failing to see the, the buy-in from a whole host of investors who are beginning to pull back. I'm failing to see a, a whole host of um, industries who are just not moving oh, don't, ahead. Don't, don't, confuse, don't confuse the conversation about ESG with the real exponential green industrialization of the world. I, 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 will, I will confuse it, Nigel, because the money... <laughs> yeah, I will, because I work in the world of money, and I see... I had a brilliant woman on yesterday from Raymond Jane. She's one of the great investors I know. And she said, I don't have enough information. How? After G-Fans, after... What's the new one? NZPDU, whatever, that Mark Carney came up with. The, you know, the great public utilities. I still don't have enough information to right. direct capital from my world to that world you're talking about. So, so, so I will confuse it. So it's, it's mixed, right? But I think, um, you know, we know that these technology transitions happen exponentially. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, it's very difficult to distinguish no signal from noise. So, but in, in the areas of renewable energy and electric vehicles, it, I mean, no, no one's going to tell you that it's not happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's happening, it's happening very fast. We just, um, if, if you actually model that exponential change, we'll be at like between 65 and 85% of the EV sales globally be, of, of car sales globally being electric by 2030. This trebling of renewables actually is right is on the low end of that exponential. It could be more like three and a half, four times. So in those two sectors, it's happening. But hang on, I know that it's right for me to jump in now because you say the trebling. Let's go. To, I will be. I'll be the most excited person with you. We'll dance around. And we'll get really excited about. It. But the truth of the matter is, our emissions are 43 percent off target. So you say the exponential is happening, but we're, we need a 43% cut, which, yeah. we, which hasn't been, it's bigger now because we didn't deliver in the last two years. Yeah, so you're right. So the, 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 the growth of um, renewables is chasing the growth of energy demand in emerging markets, right? Yeah. But we're now nearly all of the new power generation that's being built in the world now and going forward um, is renewables. And we'll get to the point where we'll peak and we start tipping. And when you peak on these exponentials, you start yeah. going down quite quickly. Um, on, on the point about information, it's a, it's a really good one. We did some, did some work with the champions, We're getting fed up with this. We've got trillions, there's no projects in one room. And in another room, we've got loads of projects and no yeah. money. And that, yeah. so, so everyone's right, but that's not, that's not helpful. So we do, we do need to facilitate. I mean, this is, the market is immature, and often that's an information deficit. And I was in a session yesterday with four funds who are investing in real businesses, in real infrastructure projects in Africa and making real returns for real pension funds and real retail investors. The, one of the problems is not enough people are getting on a plane and going to visit places to do some of the hard work. The good investors are starting to make money. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.